Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. morning church it is a joy to be able to speak to you this morning my name is Bethan if you don't know who I am I'm currently at Bible College uh, on placement here which is really cool really fun and I'm tag teaming with Dan this morning so if you see me get off the stage don't be alarmed I'm not running away I haven't had enough it's just Dan's turn to get up but there's something you need to know about me I am obsessed would be the word with gifts gifts is my top love language it's everything to me. If you get me a gift, you must really like me. Like, I'm immediately thinking they're in love with me. Like, <laughs> marriage is on the cards. So, <laughs> if you get me a gift, it's really sealed the deal, to be honest. And there's someone here who I love deeply, who has encouraged me, championed me, who has been with me through thick and thin, who has seen me through the worst days. And uh, I would like to give them a gift, if that's okay. Is that all right? Stunning. So, Elena, please come to the stage. Let's give a round of applause. Beautiful. Isn't she beautiful, guys? Just Celia thinks that. (laughs) No, I'm joking. You are. This is the beautiful gift, right? I've, I've put a ribbon on it and everything. I just think you're incredible. And it's just a token of my love for you, of, um, yeah, just my love. I just love you. Just really love you. Okay. Go for it. You can open it now, please. Thank you. It's nice, isn't it? It's good wrapping. Yay! Isn't that nice, guys? Isn't that nice? What do you think? Uh, it's a lot smaller than the box. Oh, <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. Favourite chocolate bar. I thought this through. I planned it. I thought, do you know what? Elena will like this chocolate bar. And she's smaller than the box. Should have got a seven. Unbelievable. Okay, thank you very much. The gift was promised and the gift was given. All I can say. There you go. So it's a bit of a setup. So spoiler alert. Okay, so the gift was given. Now, if anybody knew what it was like to kind of to get a gift that they weren't quite expecting and it wasn't quite as it was advertised to be as we've literally just seen right massive silver box surely there's like a pair of shoes in there something like that because I mean it looks like a wrapped up shoe box fair to say and yet chocolate bar if there's anybody ever in the history of humanity who knew what it was to I guess receive a gift that wasn't quite what they expected to be it was the Israelites in the Old Testament Okay, so God leads them as a people out of slavery across the Red Sea in Egypt into a promised land. Into a land that was a gift for them to inhabit, something for them to to have and to own, to call their own. A land where they would be able to worship God in freedom and in truth and ultimately to show this same God to the world around them. That's a pretty cool gift, right? But some gifts aren't quite what we expect. And so what do the people encounter? They move into this promised land, the land of promise. And they encounter all sorts of enemies, people that were still living in the land that thought that it was theirs. And yet this land had been promised to this people. Well, how do you figure that out? Well, over generations, what happens was this, is that the people would engage in conflict and wars and owning their promised land. 
This is our land, the land that God has given us to show his glory to the nations. And yet the people that live here now are living in ways that are so different from the ways of us and of our God. And what you see over time is as generation comes and generation goes is that each generation has to learn how to follow God for themselves. Does that sound true to anybody today still? That each generation rises and grows and discovers what it means to follow God in this land, in this time, in this place. And right at the start of Judges chapter 4, which is the passage we're going to be coming to in a moment, it starts at the beginning of one of these cycles of when the people of God are rediscovering what it means to follow him in their land and in their place and to inhabit the promise that God had given. And it starts like this. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, like any story that starts like that, it's got to get better from there, right? (laughs) This is like a low bar of this cycle. And yet the people here are discovering what it means to follow God again, perhaps for the first time for them. And so Israel once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as a result of that, they were cruelly oppressed by the Canaanites, some of the people that lived in this land, that thought that it was theirs, and yet were in conflict with the nation of Israel to do with this promise. We pick up the story in verse 4 of Judges chapter 4. And it says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, I get all the good names this morning, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, (laughs) and said to him, Thanks, (laughs) the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and of Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will send Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, that's the army of the Canaanites, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. I told you we were getting all the names in there this morning. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and the ten thousand men went under his command, and Deborah also went with them. It's a really interesting story, isn't it? Right at the start of this sort of new cycle of discovering what it means to follow God in this time and this place. And there's just a couple of things I want to draw out for us. You see, Barak, so the leader of Israel's army, in challenging the prophecy of Deborah, didn't change the outcome of the prophecy. We'll come on to that in a little bit. But he did change the way in which the promise would be fulfilled. Okay, so did you notice that? So Deborah prophesies and she says, Barak, if you go and you take on the army in this place at this time, this will be the outcome. And he pushes back and says, oh, I'm not sure about that. You come with me. And in his questioning of the promise, the outcome didn't change. The victory was still declared. And yet the means by which God fulfills his promises changes. And I just wonder, for those of us this morning that ever feel like we've been promised something by God, and we've said, oh, God, are you sure? God, that doesn't sound like the way that you would do things. That doesn't sound like it'll work out in the way that you intended. I just wonder whether in our own questioning of promises and prophecies from God, whether we change 
our part in the promise. Interesting, isn't it? So a lesson from the life of Barak there. If a prophecy is given, if a promise is given, just inhabit it. Step into it. And this is, this is fascinating, right? So an army of 10,001 go down to meet the people. And the prophecy, as Deborah has given it, is that the Lord will deliver the army into the hands of a woman. 10,000 men, one woman. An army of 10,001. Bethan's going to come in a few, uh, couple of minutes' time and just unpack a little bit more for that as well. And yet what we see through the rest of this story, and I'm going to read it for us, picking up from verse 16, is that the fulfillment of this prophecy is a little bit different from how people expected it to play out. Remember that, 10,000 men, one woman, and the prophecy had been given that the army would be delivered into the hands of a woman. Verse 16 says this, Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, there you go. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Canaanite. Uh, sorry, Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm assuming to hide him rather than because he was cold. I'm thirsty, he said, please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him back up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, just say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground. And he died, which I think is a reasonable outcome, right? You know, like bits of information the Bible gives you that really isn't necessary, right? Okay, and he died, you think, right? So just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Thanks. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Why don't you put your hands again for Bethan as she comes to unpack this for us? Beautiful. I think we should have had a warning about the graphic content of that. But up the women. I'm all for the women. So up the women. It's beautiful. So, yeah, as Dan said, Deborah prophesied that a woman would be the end. So logically, I don't think it is unfair to assume that Deborah would be the person to win the battle, that Deborah would be the one to kill Sisera, that Deborah would be the conqueror, the victor. I don't think that's illogical to assume that. But it didn't happen that way. I think if I was Deborah, I think I'd be disappointed that it wasn't me. I, I, I try and hide it. But I feel like <laughs> if I was walking along... <laughs> Dan's mic's on. I feel like if I was walking along, you know, winning the war, it was going great, and then I find out that someone else has killed him, I'd be like, what? 10,001 people have marched into battle, and I'm not the person to do it? Like, what? But great, yay. <laughs> I'm glad the war's over. I feel like I'd be really disappointed, and maybe that's just me. Maybe I need to have prayer. I don't know, but <laughs> I feel like I'd be quite disappointed. But instead, we see Deborah's reaction. 
a reaction of joy. See, Deborah is already operating out of her cultural expectations. She's a woman, up oh, the women, who is a judge, which isn't heard of, who is a prophet, who is leading the nations. And Barak literally turns to her and is like, I can't do this without you. And she's like, fine, I'll come and help you, fine. So Deborah is already operating out of cultural expectations. And here she is again, operating out of something that we wouldn't expect her to do. She, she returns with joy. She returns with celebration. She sees what JL has done and she celebrates. Instead of the disappointment that I would feel, she returns and she is celebrated. See, Deborah's response not only was out of the norm, but it saved JL's life. There was a rule in the time of Judges where hospitality was crucial. It was so important that if you didn't look after your guests, you'd be killed. You'd be stoned. If they turned around and was like, I wasn't happy with my um, look, looked after, my hosting, you'd be killed. That'd be the end of you. And I think it's fair to say, maybe a push, but Sisera wasn't very well looked after with a tent peg through his head. I don't feel like that's the best hosting skills. I don't know if I'm going to adapt that one. I'll leave that one to Deborah. But she wasn't, uh, to JL even, but she wasn't very hosting, hostful, hospitable. That is the word, hospitable. And But the way that Deborah reacted saved JL's life. She would have been killed, but the celebration saved JL. Now, uh, two years ago, I lived in Utoxeter, and there are people here from Utoxeter, which is really nice. But I lived in Utoxeter, and I applied for Bible college two years ago. And I was doing context originally, which means I travel there every month, essentially, to go and do lessons, to have my intensive week of learning. And then I'd come back and do my job while writing essays and learning myself. And this was all great. I got in straight away. It was lovely, except for the fact that I had no way of getting there. So you talked to Tomolvan was about two hours um, in the car. And I was like, how am I going to get there? I didn't have a car, didn't have any money, so couldn't get a car. And uh, I looked at train prices. It was a no. It was a no from me, and it was a no from my bank account. So that was, it was a no. So I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? So I quickly prayed, and I was like, happy, fine. God's got it. He's accepted me into Bible college, so there must be a way. And uh, that Sunday, lo and behold, a lady, lovely lady called Caroline came up to me, and she said, Beth Ann, God's told me to give you my car. And I thought, oh my goodness, yes, I'm in, I'm in. Come on. So I was like, 100%, I'll take it. Didn't, hadn't seen the car, didn't know anything about the car, but I was like, it's a car and it's now mine, so I'll take it. So I was like, fantastic. Now my dream car, wait for this, <laughs> my dream car is a white Ford Fiesta. Beautiful car, what a car. A reachable dream. It's a reachable dream. I feel like it's good to have achievable dreams. So white Ford Fiesta it is. I hope to one day achieve that dream. And uh, so in my head, white Ford Fiesta is what I'm getting. She did tell me it was a blue Volkswagen. But in my head, <laughs> 
But in my head, it was a white Ford Fiesta. No matter how many times she told me it was a blue Volkswagen, white Ford Fiesta. So she comes and knocks on my door, and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to see my white Ford Fiesta. So I come down, and I'm excited. I come down, and I, we turn the corner, and here is the blue Volkswagen, white Ford Fiesta. And I see the blue Volkswagen, and I'm like, well, that's not a white Ford Fiesta. And then I see that it's had quite a few crashes. So it's been some panels replaced. And I was like, oh, okay, definitely not a white Ford Fiesta. And then the bumper has been torn off. Definitely not a white Ford Fiesta. There is so much rust on the uh, wing mirrors that the wing mirrors are orange. Definitely not a white Ford Fiesta. And uh, at one point, the window broke and I had to cling film the whole door. There is evidence of this. There it is, the blue Volkswagen. <laughs> if you could see my face in this, I'm glad you can't. I'm crying. I'm like, this is not going well. This is not what I expected. <laughs> when she said she was giving me a car, I thought white Ford Fiesta. I've had to cling film my window, cling film my door. And it already had 180,000 miles on the clock. Now, I don't know anything about cars, really. That is a lot. That's normally when you give in your car, really, isn't it? It's normally when <laughs> you're getting a new car. It's probably why she gave it to me. But, but, I was so thankful. I've told you all of the bad things, but it got me everywhere that I needed to go. It got me to Bible college every single time I needed to go. It got me home more times than I can count because I did not like living alone. It got me to McDonald's multiple times. <laughs> we love a good trip to Mackey's. And uh, it was ev everything I needed, but it wasn't a white Ford Fiesta. The promise was still fulfilled. I got a car, it just wasn't what I expected. But if I had have allowed my expectation of a white Ford Fiesta to take over, to take over the fact that it was a blue Volkswagen, the blue, the blue Volkswagen would have looked like a pile of metal that I did not want to drive. Let me tell you, it made a lot of noises. It was not a white Ford Fiesta, but it was a good car. Perhaps you've allowed your expectation to take away the gifts that God has given you. This car was a gift. It was an incredible gift. I didn't have to pay anything towards the car, and yet it wasn't a white Ford Fiesta, but the promise was fulfilled. Perhaps they're uh, spiritual gifts, like perhaps you want to be the best singer in the world but God's given you the gift of pastoral care. Like, if we compare our gifts and what we've got, our expectation will completely derail what God is trying to do in your life. If Deborah had allowed the expectation of her being the one to win the battle, it would have completely derailed the fact that the battle had been won, the fact that God has the victory. Perhaps your expectation is to be rich and famous. We all have that expectation, I feel. Maybe it's just me. But the, when our eyes are on Jesus, our expectation shifts to daily provision. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians verse nine, no, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you will need, you will abound in every good work. The car was not a white Ford Fiesta, but I was able to abound in everything that I did. Everything that I did, I got to A to B safely, apart from one time we almost died, safely every single time because of the Lord's provision, because the Lord abundantly gave 
when I didn't have anything to give back. I've seriously been challenged while studying Deborah. What a woman. What a woman. Up the women. I've seriously been struggled, like challenged in it and had to shift my focus off myself. We've recently just been to Limitless Youth Festival, which was incredible. But the whole time, my focus was on myself. I was serving. I was on relief team, which meant I was on every team. So I was on stewarding most of the time, and the stewards didn't get water. So I was there for hours, just pointing cars in the right direction. And I'd get shouted at pretty much every time. And that was okay. But the whole time, my focus was on myself. I would come back to the camp, and you can ask them, and I'd be fuming. I'd be like, this is ridiculous. What am I doing? Why am I here? Why have I given a full week of my time to be shouted at by Christians? What am I doing? Like, I was so focused on myself. And at the end of the week, we learned that 482 people came to Jesus. That 482 young people gave their lives to Jesus. Well, that's why I served. Absolutely. My gaze was then completely shifted from myself and from my lack of water to the fact that Jesus moved. To the fact that Jesus was there, the promise was fulfilled that he is with us everywhere we go. And if my expectation remained on myself, that would have been missed. The 482 people's lives would have been missed. Perhaps in our workplace, we've expected certain things. We've expected a pay rise here or there, or a promotion here or there, or a new job, or a new job title, or you're in charge of such and such, or whatever it may be. We've expected this because, well, I'm entitled to it. But let me challenge you to shift and channel your inner Deborah. Instead of seeing the negativity, instead of seeing the hurt and the disappointment, I challenge you to see the joy in that situation. Deborah is an incredible woman, and the whole next chapter of Deborah is called Deborah's Song. And literally, it's just songs of praise. It's praise to God. It's praise to JL for being the woman that killed Sisera. It is praise for those around her when she could have turned around and gone, What? It was meant to be me. Why isn't that me? That isn't fair. I've had enough. That's not okay. I'm the prophet. I'm the leader. I'm the one that's meant to be doing that. But instead, her whole attitude shifts. And that is such a difficult thing to do in our world, in our culture, when everything is me-focused, when everything is, how does that benefit me? If I serve, then what will happen to me? Like, Elena was promised a gift at the start of this service. And a gift is what she was given. But her expectation could have completely derailed that whole gift. Now, I did tell her to be ungrateful. So please don't think she's ungrateful, actually. I did tell her to play it up a little bit. But, but the fact is, when we're given things, we can expect something completely different. We can expect it to look a certain way. Perhaps you expected Dan this morning. Dan looks very different this morning. But you're getting a preach, so the promise has been fulfilled. <laughs> Don't allow your expectation to take away from what God has given. You'll miss so many things. You'll miss the 482. You'll miss the chocolate bar. You'll miss the car. You'll miss the war being won. You'll miss it because you're focused on yourself. So just before I hand back to Dan, 
this is my challenge to you. In a world of bitterness, rejoice. In a world of bitterness, rejoice. In a world of disappointment, celebrate. In a world of disappointment, celebrate. Allow the promise being fulfilled to be enough. Thank you. Brilliant. Instead of disappointment, celebrate. Instead of disappointment, celebrate. There's not a great deal more I want to do with the time that we've got left, but I, I would love you just to stand, if you're able to. I don't know what promises you, you've had. I don't know what promises you feel you've had, whether they be from God or from other people things that people have said over you and into you, things that people have called out of you over the years. I don't know what your expectations of God are. I know we all have them. We all expect him to be a certain way or to do a certain thing or to be this way or that way or to treat us this way or that way. Sometimes those expectations are, are accurate, are right. And sometimes our, our idea of God is so far from the truth I know growing up, a lot of my friends had this idea of God as being a God with who was kind of rule-based and angry and was out to kind of catch you out at things. And yet the God I've discovered through Jesus is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of love. And my expectation of God has changed over the years. The things I expect from him have changed. I thought the stuff that Brethan brought this morning about daily provision, brilliant, brilliant. We all have this life, or many of us have a life that we expect to live or things we expect to have access to. And yet what I'm learning is, what I've learned, is I find it harder to trust God for my daily provision than I do to trust him for my future. I find it easier to trust God for tomorrow because I can't really do anything about it. What I find hard to trust to God is the things that I do have control over. My today. I wonder whether you are like me. I wonder whether you're carrying senses and feelings of disappointment from times where God's not met your expectations. From where your expectations have been failed. I can say this in all my years of following Jesus. He has never failed me yet but he's failed my expectations loads. He's never failed me, but my expectations needed aligning into the truth of who he is, into his character, into his way of working, into his intentions, his outcomes, rather than my own. And that's hard, I've got to be honest. That's real tough. Because all of us have this idea in our head of what our life will be like the life that we will inhabit, the life that we will grow into, the life that we have mapped out before us. And we talk in church a lot, don't we, about submitting our plans to God. God, I want to submit my plans to you. And over the years, I've begun to question in my own life whether I'm submitting my plans to God is in laying them down before him. God, do whatever you will with these plans change things, move things, rewrite the story. 
or whether a little bit like when you come to do an extension, I'm just submitting my plans to the planning department. Hey, if you could sign off on these, that'd be great. They're both forms of submission, but only one is marked by surrender. And so I'd just love to invite us as a congregation, as individuals, as people who are doing their best perhaps to follow Jesus having found him. To not just submit our plans to the architect of our lives, but to surrender our plans. Trusting that in his timing, in his purposes, according to his promises, he will perfect the plans. Anybody with me this morning? Where you are, if something that Bethan said this morning or that I've said about, about this in particular, particularly this aspect of expectation and surrendering perhaps our expectations to God, we'd love to pray for you. So all we're going to do is this. If that's you, I want you to start by just raising your hand where you are. God, I acknowledge this morning that I have all kinds of expectations of you or of my life. And I'm choosing this morning to lay those down before you, to surrender them to you. Not submitting them to you for your sign-off. Hey, would you authorize my plans? But God, would you change? Would you direct my steps? Would you lead me into your promises according to your time? Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.